Sex Communication, a podcast of explicit audio and frank conversation. How do we talk about sex? How do we communicate during sex? Well, if you're here now, then you're going to find out. My name is Brianne McGuire, and each week I share an uncensored peek into the things we don't discuss. Sex. 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 I can't say the word sex. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Hello and welcome to episode 123. In today's episode, I speak with Safi and Fifi. Safi and Fifi are two 20-something LGBTQ polyam commentators and spouses-to-be, at least according to the description on their Instagram page and their YouTube channel. Their show offers sex-positive conversations and education from their perspective as young people of color. Much like this show and Graphic Paint, their mission is to offer a safe, judgment-free space for the exploration of sexuality. They cover everything from gender identity, kink, polyamory, and more. In today's conversation, we cover these same topics. In addition to, how did they become the people that they are today? How were they introduced to kink and sex and polyamory? How do they feel about gender identity? And why is their YouTube channel so important? So let's get to it. Here we go. So hello, Safi and Fifi. How are you? Good. Hi. Hi. Hello. So you're you're not actually the the first couple or uh, first poly group that I've spoken with. I think you are the youngest poly uh, group that I've, I've interviewed, though, oh. or at least you seem to be young. I could be wrong about that. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 26. I forgot. I'm like a few months older. I'm 27. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're older than I thought, but I mean, you're still in your 20s. So why don't you tell me a bit about yourselves individually and kind of describe your coupledom? Okay. So uh, Safi and I, so I guess I jumped right into uh, Safi and I, uh, but we've been dating for two and a half years now. Um, before we started dating, I identified as Polly for about four years now. I um identify as pansexual i uh jumped into this through the kink community there's um a poly intentional sex positive community in bushwick that i fell into through house of yes and that was kind of my gateway into sex education and learning about kink and uh, play parties and uh, poly and then through there I just started dating poly people so it's kind of been I haven't turned back since that's yeah that's me okay and Safi um I yeah I actually was I've been practicing ethical non-monogamy since I was 19 um uh, mm-hmm. I, so that's about like seven years I've only been in non-monogamous or poly relationships. And the way I happened upon it was, or it like it typically like what I've experienced is that poly and kink usually go hand in hand often. Like a lot of poly couples are also are navigating kink relationships as well. Um, and I, at 19 years old, was with my ex at the time. And I guess we were feeling like super squirrely and we're looking for something to do on a Saturday night. And we were like, why don't we look up a sex party and just see what happens? 
So we're both 19, we're pretty young, and we found Submit, which is a, a sex party that is uh, exclusive exclusive to everyone but cis men, essentially. Like that, <laughs> the only people who are not invited are cis men. And um, from there, it was a lot of learning. I was really young when I first started practicing uh, non-monogamy, and there's a lot of learning, like what worked for me, what didn't, when it came to polyamorous relationship a lot of experimenting with king to to really learn about like what worked for me um and i I mean like so much like went down before like meeting sophia and really like coming into like settling with who i am as a person and like my sexual relationships my polyamorous relationships and like kink as well yeah um and i'm excited to keep learning about myself awesome and how long have you guys been together again? Two and a half years. Two and a half. Okay. And so another thing I, I want to bring up, I figure might as well now than later. So you guys also host a YouTube channel and um, you have three episodes out so far. So can you tell me a bit about your channel and, and what you talk about and why you started it? Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, this is a very new baby that we decided to have. Uh, it came about, we've been pondering it or brewing the idea for a while. Just uh, really the the long-term dream, I think, is to be able to host actual events and to have physical spaces for people to come together um, and ask questions and to learn and we were interested particularly in the queer people of, or in providing a space for people of color to um, learn more about things like health, sex, uh, relationships. And that's kind of how it came into being in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it was so as. For me, like as a black person and growing up where I did and growing up the way I did, there was a lack of resources um, in terms of learning about sex and gender and and then even more taboo kink and polyamory. Um, and a lot of that I didn't learn until I got to a liberal arts school outside of my neighborhood. Um, so providing like a free platform for people to learn about these things with people who look like them uh, to just create accessibility amongst like poor POC who want to experiment with kink, with poly, talk about gender, sex, relationships, our bodies, like all of that. And that's really what the fire behind it is to create a space for people like us. Yeah. Great. So can you each tell me about how you grew up with sex and the sex education that you did or didn't receive and the kind of way sex was spoken about in your home, what was that? What was modeled to you and what was taught to you? Well, so for me, I, my parents uh, are both from Puerto Rico, native Puerto Ricans, and a very heteronormative household um, was not allowed to have sleepovers even with my friends, and then uh, the focus was very heavily on school. So it was really about getting good grades, and anything that got in the way of that was a distraction and probably not good. So 
dating was definitely not encouraged. So with that as the baseline, sex was not explicitly discussed at all. All I knew was that all men wanted was to fuck me and that I should be wary at all times. So I, I, my sex interests and uh, sex education was all done in secret. The internet was the main place for my sex education. So porn, I mean, as far as school goes, I, I honestly learned more from porn than I did from anywhere else growing up, um, up until, up until my twenties. Yeah. I didn't even know what the clitoris looked like until my, (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, I guess my experience with sex, it's really, I actually like didn't really think about this until I prompted the question. I grew up in a really big family, Mm -hmm. um, in one house. Um, and I had a lot of, there's a few layers to my upbringing that are, I guess, worth noting. My family was kind of in this, like, cultish um, society. Uh, it was this, like, pan-African cult that kind of rejected, like, European standards or westernized standards of, like, sex, romance, like, all that. So my grandparents were these huge hippies who were very, like, into, like, menage a trois and, like, <laughs> all of these kind of different, exploring these different um relationship paradigms when they were young and I remember like seeing their like kind of third partners coming over and they would like I would see my grandfather kiss this woman on the mouth who wasn't my grandmother and then she would kiss my grandmother on the mouth and I'm like seven like what is this so it was kind of this weird like um and my grandfather has a Hindu background as well. So there's this, like, gender and sex are kind of these, these floaty, like, fluid things. Also, there's a taboo-ness about it. Like, it was kind of a thing that was constantly happening around me, but no one talked about it. There wasn't a, really a discussion about, like, sex and... and uh but it was always around me. Like <laughs> I had, I lived with my cousins and my aunts and they were a little bit older than me and they always had boyfriends over and I could hear them having sex. Um, and for lack of a better word, I was a huge pervert as a kid. You know, I was so pervy from like the age of like, maybe like three on. <laughs> um, I was very intrigued by it. So that was a lot of like the roots of my upbringing. Growing up in that cult environment, though, or you know, as you described it as a cult, were you homeschooled, or were you actually when you were leaving that environment and attending an outside institution? I was then leaving, right? So it was even stranger because I wasn't like it wasn't a cult to the degree of like some of the stuff like the documentaries you see. Yeah. Um, but it was they would meet at this like temple called the Saraset, do a bunch of like weird freaky stuff, and then and I would be there sometimes. But I went to public school. Okay. Sometimes when my grandparents would come and pick me up, I'd be super embarrassed because there are these like obvious like brown hippies, you know, like my grandmother didn't shave like her legs or her armpits, so she was like very. And my grandfather like did not believe in showers um, often, so. It was like kind of a, it was very hard living in that dichotomy of like being home with my grandparents and then 
move like going to a public school and then also my mother meeting my stepdad who was very different than my upbringing and then moving in with him mm-hmm. well, it was just like a very chaotic upbringing like a lot of instability yeah but it also sounds like just because of that you were exposed to so many more things than the average person would be absolutely yeah yeah so but Safi for you specifically with that and like having that exposure to this for lack of a better word, I'm saying air quotes, alternative lifestyle, um, but also going to public school. Were you dealing with conflict in that what probably you were seeing or hearing described or referenced or whatever in public school was probably different? Or am I making an assumption out of that? Was it not that different? No, it was absolutely different. There was, um, I think one of the hardest realiz I think one of the clearer moments where I realized that I had a very different perspective on sex and and women and men and gender was I the first time I heard someone slut shame somebody and I didn't understand it at like fourteen. Yeah. Um, I was kind of like it was literally about it was about this girl who I had a huge crush on and they were telling me like, yo, you can't you know, you can't be with someone like that because she, like, gave this guy a blowjob. And it didn't, like, compute. Like, it made absolutely no sense to me, like, how equating a woman's, like, sexuality with her, like, morale or, like, ability to be a partner made her less of a partner. Um, And that's when I realized, like, I viewed things, like, a lot differently um, than my friends and the people around me. So can you each talk about how you identify? So um, Fifi, you already described yourself as pansexual. Do you think of yourself as, as a cis woman? or? Yes, I do. I, yeah, I identify as a cis woman. And Fifi, I'm um, sorry, Safi. <laughs> um, I identify as, I think, I guess, dual gendered would be the best, or bi-gender, I identify very much with maleness or he him and I also identify very strongly with she her Mm -hmm. um I don't know I like it's it's been a journey with my gender uh really understanding like or learning myself and and what I identify with and it's still like in process (laughs) um in terms of my sexuality, I, I would identify as pansexual, but more drawn to femmes. Yeah. Um, be it cis women, be it trans women, be it non-binary femmes, I'm just very attracted to femininity. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So Fifi, so mm-hmm. with you coming to it, like you said, you kind of learned about it through the House of Yes, which is very interesting. I, I want to talk more about the, you said you got a lot of, um, like you learned a lot from the porn that you saw. Can you can you talk about that and and also like think of it in the context of? And I'm very pro porn. I will preface that <laughs> with that statement. But a lot of people, you know, are, are terrified of porn and especially terrified of the effect of porn on people that are using it as education. Um, I, I do have some disagreements with that, which I'll get into. But I, I want to hear from you. Like, what did you learn, and and what are your thoughts on? Like, is it a good thing or bad thing? Do you, do you regret learning things from porn and et cetera? Well, I now am very grateful to porn, and I think it can absolutely be a resource 
uh, a teaching tool. Um, and, and, you know, speaking from my own experience, knowing that porn was really the source of my sex education growing up, that it's even more important, I think, to have teaching tools through porn <laughs> available. Um, yeah. So with the porn that I consumed growing up, I mean, I... I started, yeah, I was also a very pervy kid. So I was like, before I actually laid my eyes on like PV porn or yeah, like any, I stumbled upon my, my dad's porn <laughs> and before, but before, oh God, no, that's not even true. But my grandfather's porn before that, my grandfather's a closeted gay man and he had like veiny dicks and like <laughs> lying around and I as a little kid uh, found and thought they were sec- they were textbooks because he was a teacher. Anyway, so I, um, but like it, none of it was really explained to me. But so from what I can recall, actually, like remembering and processing um, and storing information from what I watched, I learned that sex was very performative. So um, I mean, there was parts of it that aroused me, and you know, without actually watching it, I found myself like drawing pictures of like genitalia and body parts like to kind of get a feel a sense I don't know a sense of jerking off I guess but when I ended up I would watch that and I learned that it was very performative and then I actually saw the power dynamic in the porn and I saw that you know by knowing how to perform it well um as a female identifying person, I can actually have like the power of control over the masculine person. And Mm -hmm. I started having sex at 13 years old and I proved my theory correct, at least in my mind. And from then until I learned about kink and sex positivity, I, up until that point, I had that image of or that understanding of sex as like a power play thing um yeah did it teach you any like um not scenarios but I mean were there things that you would see in the porn that were like oh like nobody talks about that you know like maybe group sex or sex between people that aren't just male and female like were you coming across Mm -hmm. things like that too or, or kinky porn at all or, or anything that was kind of out of the norm? I mostly got to see, no, unfortunately like Pornhub, their feed is very like heteronormative. And uh, so until I found like feminist porn much later on or like kinky, like, you know, gender bendy porn, I later on, I really didn't know to look for that. Uh, when I was younger so I really just clicked on whatever was available first I did like I was very into oral I very quickly fell into lesbian porn because I loved the sounds that women made (laughs) 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 and like I could really just get off to that and then also yeah the fascination with like with my own I guess it was like a narcissistic thing I was like I liked seeing someone that looked like me having sex because it was like you know how do you say um 
I felt like I was experiencing it with them. You can empathize. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was, um, so that, yeah, not until much later did I find more, I guess. And how old were you when you were like, cause you described that you realized that it was performative. How old were you when, when you, you had that realization? Probably like 11 or 12. Huh. That's really like you're totally contradictory to everyone's stance that's against porn because they're like children see this and they don't realize that it's, you know, that it's being acted out and performed and this isn't how it really is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. I don't know if you've seen that show Euphoria, but the yeah. character Maddie. Maddie, there's a scene where she's literally rehearsing how yeah. to have her yeah sex with her boyfriend and I was like that's me like I did that I was like okay yeah this angle's good that works that sounds good <laughs> uh, I, yeah I totally agree that it can I mean obviously I, I think there's so much room to expand what pornography is but using it intentionally as education that you know giving people that don't know anything about sex like some actual footage of real people, you know, real anatomy, instead of relying on drawings or descriptions or God forbid, like some animated <laughs> version of something. Anyway, so um, to Fifi, again, just when you, you said you learned about these things from the House of Yes, can you describe what drew you to even being involved in that scene, like being drawn to that event? And like, how did, how did that really start? I was coming out of a bad breakup and I had like a streak of abstinence and I was ready to, you know, full force break it. And my, I have a kinky friend who's been in the kink community longer than me, who saw a flyer for a party at House of Yes called House of Love. And it wasn't a sex party. It was just like a kinky themed party with like a, a, I guess a bonus back room where you could do a little play and it was hosted by the uh, sex positive intentional community in the neighborhood. And so I ended up at that party with them and in the little bonus back room and I heard, so the person leading it um, would later become my mentor in like kink and ethical non-monogamy um, and when I heard him, in, you know, just conduct the room, I it was the first time that I ever heard someone publicly speaking about consent. And that just turned me on. I was like, what is this language? I, have, I haven't heard anything like this before. And it was such a judgment-free zone to explore your pleasures and your desires and I got spanked for the first time. I got to ride the Sibian. I even had a full-blown orgasm in that room. So, like, <laughs> maybe I was just, like, you know, seeing stars. But after that experience, I, I really wanted to make a life decision, especially based on how my last relationship ended with me trying to come out as polyamorous and my partner not being accepting of that. I <laughs> thought you know what, no, this has to really, like, I, I was on a mission to learn and explore. So I wrote an email to, to um, 
the to the person who was leading the kink room and I was like and it turns out he's a professional sex coach he like actually um uh, has educational porn and I asked him to um I was like do you need do you need any help with anything here's my resume I want to work for you I want to learn from you um and then I ended up I ended up being a member of the community that way. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Safi, how did you get drawn to kink? Um, my, so I think I was drawn to kink from a kind of a really young age. Um, there was, uh, and it, the, as I got older, I started to reclaim a lot of like trauma through kink and, and stuff like that. But I was actually really ashamed from a young age of like the things that I was intrigued by when it came to porn. Like Sophia spoke a lot about her experience with porn, but interestingly enough, I was really drawn to gay porn, like mm-hmm. between two cis men. Um, and there was something about the the kind of primalness of it and the kind of uh, how external their arousal was that that drew me to it. Um, and a lot of, and that's also where a lot of my gender confusion came into play, where I didn't understand why I was more empathetic to these cis men than to like two women, for example, like having having sex. And the reason why I was so drawn to kink was that I was able to explore these paradigms of masculinity and femininity without mm. having to be a cis man. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like really, like it was like almost I went to school I learned about kink through a class that I was taking in college because I was a sociology major and it was about um it was a class on the body and sexuality and I watched this documentary I forgot what it was called and it was a very much like BDSM dynamic of this following this couple when the 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 woman was the the dom and she had a sub who was a man and um and I was like, I want that. <laughs> you know, I yeah. want to be kind of dominated by a, a feminine person. I want to be kind of someone like, like at a femme's disposable, disposal yeah. sexually. And um, and I started exploring that. And it was interesting. Like, I explored so many different dynamics. Um but yeah, there was always a, there was a shame about my kink until I realized that there was a community, mm. like, and that it wasn't taboo, or it was, but there were people still like exploring it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that I mean, I've I've experienced myself like my kind of getting drawn into kink was also a way of kind of like dealing with trauma and rewriting those narratives and, right. and that sort of thing. And I've had a lot of people on the show that, that speak about that and people that talk about the power dynamics, but you're the first person to really connect that with like gender exploration. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious too, because when you were describing um, like the, the hippie environment that you were in, that, that group dynamic that you were witness to, and you said that, it, it seemed that gender was kind of fluid, but also something that people didn't really explicitly talk about. Do you think that that made it almost like gender didn't matter, that the labels were irrelevant, or it just added a layer of confusion for you? Um, I think that, so growing up, I, my childhood was split. 
it was the first half of my life I was raised by my grandparents who were the, the hippies. Um, yeah. And then the second half I was raised by my mother and stepfather. My stepfather is very different than the culture I was raised in. In my grandparents' house, gender was very fluid. My grandfather would openly talk about how he thinks like the the female and the male body are so beautiful and that he can say that about both bodies without it being like charged sexually. Um, and there were moments of like homophobia and stuff because they were so old and it was like kind of a matter of fact, like well, they didn't realize what they were saying, honestly. <laughs> but when I moved in with my stepfather, it was very hard and fast. You're a woman, this is how you're supposed to act. Um, and with my sister, who's a trans woman, but presented male when she was younger because really they didn't give her a choice in the matter. Um, it was a very hard and fast blow that we yeah. from this kind of, like they let my sister wear dresses and wigs and have Barbie dolls and they let me go play sports and do whatever I wanted. Um, my grandparents did at least. And then moving in with my stepfather, he was like, that's all over. Like, I don't care what you were raised with. This is changing now. So that kind of, that was really where the duress started to happen. Like gotcha. the, the, the suffering with it. And so now, I mean, and this is a question for both of you, especially because you both identify as pansexual. Like, do you feel that labels like gender, labels like sexual orientation descriptors, are they necessary? Do you feel like they help or they hinder? Um, well, interestingly, we were just talking about this before the show about how, like, the lived experience um, of each individual, no matter, you know, how they identify. And I think at least, you know, I'll speak personally from my experience is that I, if I lived in a world where gender didn't mean anything to, you know, except for, you know, my physical anatomy and everything was the same, you know, I was advertised the same products as people with different anatomies than me are. And, you know, it, if there was no difference um, in the world, then I would, I would say, sure, you know, um, beyond, you know, like exactly what my physical body looks like. But because that's not the case, uh, I do think it's important to acknowledge people's lived experience with whatever gender they identify with or whatever they were born with. Um, and I do, I do think it's important to um, the, like I value fluidity and, mm -hmm. um, and degenderizing language. Like that was actually something that I had to learn and practice once I came into the sex positive community. And it made my overall language just so much more inclusive. So, you know, not disregarding, like, giving people the, the space and the validity, and, you know, valuing their experience, but also trying um, my best to, yeah, be inclusive of all different kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Sophie, what's your perspective? Um, I guess the question of like language and labeling. Um, I think it it serves such an important purpose to giving language to things we didn't have language for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you know I was so confused growing up with my my gender identity and my my sexual identity. Um, so like growing up at first I was like, I am a man. I was meant to be a man because I'm attracted to women. I'm attracted to these things that are traditionally masculine and I must be, must have been born in the wrong body. Um, and then like the next layer was learning about butch women and being like, Oh, like maybe that's what I am. Like, I'm a butch woman. I, I'm a woman who likes traditionally masculine or male things. And then as I, like, learn more and more, like, going to school and, like, and now even further with, like, Gen, Gen Z is really, like, in here <laughs> with so much, so many, like, ways to identify. Um, uh, learning that I, I have a say in who I am. And that's what those labels kind of give the space for is like, I get to decide who I want to be and who, how I want to identify. And it wasn't again until another label of like being bi-gender or dual-gendered or gender fluid or non-binary where I was like, maybe like I fall more in a category of both masculine, both feminine, trans-masculine, like these ideas, a demigod, like things that are a little like more nuanced. And I think it, it is really helpful. Um, because if not, I would be really afraid to explore my gender because in my head, I would think like, maybe I just should transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these new labels, it gives me space to explore different venues mm-hmm. of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I realize in asking that and, and hearing your responses and I've gotten similar responses from, from other guests, but I, when, like when I ask it, I realize that... Um, I'm kind of asking it from this idealistic future where we've kind of transcended the need to do that. But I, I, you know, thank you for reinforcing the importance of like, we are not there yet. And there is power in the language that we use. And and Safi, I mean, thank you for pointing out too, that it, it kind of like, at least you felt that it gave you the opportunity to explore things that if that language hadn't been there, if those labels hadn't been there, you wouldn't have even been aware these things were options. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you talk about how, like, again, getting back to you being a, a poly relationship, how does it function for you? What describe like the, the structure of your particular poly relationship and how you guys explore that? So we are, we practice hierarchical poly in that we are primary partners to each other. Mm -hmm. I have a secondary who I've been dating long, about like four years, three, three years ish. Um, So a little longer than Safi. She has her uh, primary partner as well. And... Yeah, that's what. Yeah, we're uh, we're each other's primaries. We um, practice poly in a really transparent way. So there's some, you know, different paradigms where people like experiment with like don't ask, don't tell. I've been in relationships like that. It didn't work for me. Um, 
we share a calendar. Um, yeah. So and <laughs> if Sophia has a date, I can see it. And if there's an issue with it, be it scheduling, be it my like our comfort with it, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything, I think the biggest thing a part of our practice is communication. Um, yeah. There's no like. I think that people forget that you can still cheat in a polyamorous relationship Mm -hmm. on the basis of lying. Um, And the way we practice it is like really transparent communication and honesty. Um, There's also like safe sex practices, getting tested, uh, all of those things like come into play because we're being so open and transparent with each other. so yeah, it's a lot a lot of it is like accountability as well. Like being accountable through each other and each other's partners. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love thanks for bringing up the the calendar thing. You made me think of um those jokes that happen like when Google Calendar goes down and everyone's talking about how fucked all the poly groups are because they're like, Whose night is it? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so do you um do you ever, you know, kind of not swap, but I mean, like as a as a couple, do you entertain people together? Yes. Yes, we have. Um, there was a time where I I played with Sophia's secondary, her, her girlfriend, while Sophia was playing with Sophia's girlfriend's primary. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, and we were, we, and I've watched Sophia. I'm more of like a voyeur or a, I guess a cuck, a cuckold is the best word for it. Um, a lot of our like entertaining other people's me like witnessing Sophia play with someone else or Fifi play with someone else, um, and getting off on that. But we like also experience things separately as well. And I still like experience compersion from just hearing about it. <laughs> to be honest, or even the thought that it's happening um, induces arousal. Yeah, I'm the slut in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and and for anyone listening, I mean, this is I never want to assume people have heard other episodes, but you know the three C's of of poly: the communication, calendaring, and compersion. So mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about compersion, which is like you know getting. Uh, satisfaction and, and being happy for other people experiencing pleasure and happiness. Can you talk about that? Um, I think that I, it's really funny when I was younger, you know, and I didn't know that polyamory even existed. Uh, the only like concept of multiple partners was like polygamy. Um, yeah. So I had a, my first like love, I guess is the first girl I had a really huge crush on. Um, and we like dated for like three weeks because I was 14 and, um, (laughs) she was known in the school as being promiscuous. Um, and this was the same girl I was talking about that, like the guys around me were like, you can't like, uh, like date someone like that. Like that's not the type of woman you bring home to your mother. And I disagreed. Um, And what happened was she ended up, she cheated on me in the three weeks that we were dating. And I wanted to hear about exactly what she did. And I was going to be mad. Um, but she told me this thing and I was like, okay, anyways, like, do you want to work things out? Like, I don't care. 
And she's like, actually, like, I don't want to be in a committed relationship, so that's that. But regardless, <laughs> anyways, um, it was very much, like, the the thing with cheating was, like, I didn't like being lied to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I'm learning I didn't like being lied to because I wanted to know what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, there was just, like, I was really ashamed of, like, because, you know, my, my boys, quote-unquote, were like, you should be mad about this. Like, you're letting her walk all over you. Um, and I did not, I enjoyed knowing <laughs> that my partner was getting uh, pleasure. Um, yeah. And that's still kind of, not kind of, that's exactly how I feel today. Even, like, in times of my experience, like jealousy, there's still this kind of like draw to the idea of, and plain and simple, like my partner fucking or getting fucked. Um, yeah. And then with compersion of like my partner being loved, there is the way I like to practice poly is like bonding with Sophia's secondaries about how much we love her. Mm, yeah. There's just something very special in that. Yeah. And Fifi? Yeah, I love all of that so much. Um, I Once I discovered that was an option, I only wanted to be with people that would be happy for my pleasure. I, the same, you know, if whenever Safi has sexual adventures or even just fantasies, honestly, like I love hearing her ideas for things and, um, that we can bond, uh, the bonding component is really, is really it. I think it, it's, it's something that we get to share. Um, it's not just that, it's not me experiencing, uh, the compersion alone. It's, it's me sharing that with, with Sappy and, yeah. and their partners. Yeah. And can you get a little bit more personal if you're willing? I know we talked about, you know, what you guys were willing to talk about and you were like kind of a free for all. So can you tell me some details about like what you guys are really into, like with each other or with others? Like what really gets you off? Um, We're big into age play. That was kind of the dynamic that we started with. Um, Mm -hmm. Sophia and I, our first time playing was at a sex party in front of all of our friends. Um, it was at Submit. Uh, I knew her through m- mutual friends, and then we, we went to the party together. Um, and a lot of it was the, like, daddy-baby-girl dynamic in the beginning. And it was kind of also an assumption, like, I'm with the femme, and, like, we, we started off with I was the dom. Really, I'm a, I'm a closet sub. Like, there's no... <laughs> So as we got to know each other and got more comfortable with each other, uh, it has definitely flipped on its head where there is a kind of like mommy, baby boy dynamic kind of permeates our entire relationship um, in subtle ways, like in uh, very subtle ways in our relationship still. Um, But a lot of our play is a dynamic of the caretaker and being cared for. Yeah, there between yeah, I I'm into that like the bringing kink into sex in subtle ways like yeah scenarios, um, fantasies, and um, just also playing in different places. 
um, or uh, just, yeah, getting adventurous, like, with toys, and um, I, you pretty much summed it up as far as dynamic goes. I, before, I'm very much an exhibitionist. That's kind of how it came into fruition. Safi and I barely really spoke at all before <laughs> I was like, how did a friend describe me that like when I come, you can hear it from the moon. Right. And <laughs> so it was like a, almost this very real, like blossoming in real time um, that we got to understand and know that we're sexually adventurous and um, excited about each other's pleasure in whatever way that is. So yeah. for me, um, yeah, it started off with that, some impact play in mm-hmm. the beginning. Uh, and then I think like that nuance to like nurture kind of relationship is what has really turned us on now um, at this moment. But like you know, the list is endless. I think we've experimented, experimented with so many different dynamics. Some of them, we were we did oh. pet play. We did I was a femdom. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia played uh, a baby boy. Like we yeah uh, experimented with our gender presentation a lot. Where Sophia's taken on like submissive mass masculine roles, and I've taken on. Uh, dominant feminine roles um I think we're just kind of like we've got to try everything once in terms of dynamics um and, and break through expectations um yeah, yeah. we did some step brothers we, we were into like step <laughs> sibling play cousins uh, we're very big into yeah like incest role play uh there is like a kinship thing yes <laughs> Yeah, like everything's a go, <laughs> to be honest. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I love to hear that. <laughs> do you guys have any issues? I mean, do you have any, um, is there any judgment you feel or, or any shame with your families? Like, are you guys, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to assume, but I mean, are you open with your families about like, this is what you're into. This is what my relationship is. Mm. Or are there things that you hide for um, family members versus like the people that you choose to hang out with in your social circle? Right. Yeah. Well, um, me personally, uh, my family, yeah, doesn't really know. We've never explicitly talked about my sexual preference or how I identify they they don't know much. They don't know much at all. They know me and who I am. I'm yes. Not yes. That they know that Safi, is, they know Safi by her name and they know that I spend a lot of time with her and they piece together that she is clearly my partner. Um, but that's that hasn't really been addressed. So regarding my family, we joke that like it'll really all be out in the open when uh, the wedding happens. <laughs> That'll be the moment for for my family, at least. Um, with my family, my family relationship in general is kind of estranged. Um, my mother, though, like, we don't, like, explicitly, like, I haven't sat my mother down, but, like, this is who I am. I'm polyamorous. This is how I date. But, like, 
we've talked about it in passing, and my mom is so right. She was, even though she's with my stepdad now, she was raised by my grandparents. And to her, polyamory is like, well, of course it makes sense with millennials that you guys are polyamorous. Like, the economy doesn't really grant you guys to be uh, married to one person and to have kids in a house. You kind of have to take on this village communal mentality and, like, why not? experience that with romance as well yeah Um, but it's still kind of like a part of my life that I keep private from I don't really talk about it with most people unless I'm amongst other kinky people other poly people or friends who are very curious Mm -hmm. I, I have a friend who is like married has a baby on the way cis heteronormative relationship the whole like thing but he is so intrigued by my lifestyle and I don't mind answering his questions um so yeah like I I think most of the time it's like parents are just not sexy like I don't want to involve them (laughs) my my sexual like exploration yeah Yeah. fair enough (laughs) so I, I figured we'd close out the show like I'd like you to tell me more about you know what is your vision for the YouTube channel that you have for that show that you're doing and and any other work that you're doing to kind of like you said create this space for people that are like you to to feel safe and exploring these things and learn more about them um and and you know obviously because there aren't a lot of opportunities to get that kind of information outside of people like yourselves that are are explicitly trying to put it out there like it's not part of the the institution of education or um like the, just something commonly spoken about even socially. So tell me about what you want for the show and, and other things that you're looking to explore and um, a bit more about like why it's so important to you. Um, I think that when I think about like a future vision for what this show is going to create is again, like, I mean, we're also in the age of COVID. So, that, <laughs> but it's, creating like literal physical meetups and spaces for queer POC who are kinky or poly or both. Um, and to create like a venue of sex education, that's a little bit more, cause there's a lot of sex educators in the world um, doing a lot of good work, but creating a more, uh, just like even opening the conversation up for like discourse uh, and being kind of like peers to one another not necessarily like we are Safi and Sophia and we know all the you know <laughs> but like, not like we're the all-knowing because you know there's plenty of uh couples who have who look like us who have the same desires and the same interests but just creating like even letting people know it's okay and we can talk about it mm-hmm. um Eventually, honestly, hosting, like, our own sex parties or play parties that are more, like, queer, people of color oriented, um, because, like, a lot of these spaces are very white and very, very hetero, um, Mm -hmm. and podcast, like, doing this has been, like, just being able to, like, talk more about who we are, our lived experiences, and strength and hope within, like, our sexual and relationship paradigms yeah I agree to that point at the when we were doing like big vision stuff for it you know future play parties but even just in the the short 
the beginnings of, of the channel and what we hope for it, like seeing people's uh, identification in their comments already has really sparked hope and inspiration for me and seeing people identify and and relate to to the yeah. content so I'm excited for it yeah like even like small con- like because we're not big now because you know we're we just started but even seeing commentary like people really thinking about talking to us and like leaving comments that are very like personal really mm-hmm. like they're pro- they, they are prompted to then share their personal experiences with us and just like just like removing the taboo and like uniqueness of it mm-hmm. um yeah. community is such a good way to combat that isolation and that uh feeling of otherness um and a lot of it is that is this kind of pure like desire to create community yeah yeah Oh, that's great. And I, I, I agree with you all the way. <laughs> Similar mm-hmm. motivations. Um, so we're we're coming to the end. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about that you want to make sure that you have a chance to, to just speak to or bring up? Well, I, I, I also just want to commend you. I think this is awesome as well. Like this is the community that I crave, like spaces where we get to have candid, open conversations about sex and education and um, interests or, you know, curiosities and ask questions. Um, And also, yeah, I've been, so I go by Fifi. Um, That was actually the name given to me in a kink space. Um, my name is Sophia, so that refers to me as But yeah, so Safi or uh, Sophia or Fifi, either one works for me. Um, yeah, I think um, I think the last thing I'll say is to echo the same sentiment. Like, this is such a good. I mean, we're we're dying for people to ask us questions. <laughs> Any excuse to talk about our sex life, we're like, yes, finally, yes, let's talk about every kink dynamic we've ever experienced. But um, it it's just so exciting to be able to answer questions candidly in like a safe space. So I really do thank you and commend you for having us here. Well, thank you both too, because you're you're like we're doing we have the same type of mission, right? Like we're, <laughs> and it's just great to see people like yourself that you know people of color you're young the current young generation they're coming into a different world than certainly I did like I'm I'm 40 and things were not like this when I was young I never grew up considering what my gender was and I'm just you know thinking about how I am now like how different could my life have been if 40 years ago this was something that was on my horizon so I just think there's so much value in what you guys are trying to do and what you're putting out there and you know congratulations to you guys for starting this I imagine it's gonna be quite big so thank you um also for coming on the show and sharing with us so openly I really appreciate that thank you so much thank you thanks guys Okay, so that's our show. In today's episode notes, you will find links to their YouTube channel as well as their Instagram profile. They are prolific posters and you're going to find a ton of content if you follow them on both channels. That's it until next week. I wish you well. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like more information about the show, visit us online at sexcompod.com. That's S-E-X-C-O-M-P-O-D dot com. 
If you'd like to be a part of the show, please email me at sexcompod at gmail.com. I am always looking for new sex audio and people to interview. It could be you.